Good morning, church family. It's been a while since I did that, but my name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is my privilege and honor to be kicking off this four-week series called Mission Critical. It's been a while since I've been given the opportunity to speak, so I can't think of a better place to share from than the book of Acts. If you didn't know or you're new, we've been journeying through the Bible over the past three years with the Gospel Project curriculum. Uh, We're nearing the end of this journey, which lands us in the book of Acts today. So we'll be focusing on Acts 19, mainly. So Josh alluded to that earlier. So just make sure you you open there and kind of hold place. Um, So today we are going to be looking at the power of the gospel. But you might say to yourself, but Alex, don't we always do that on a Sunday? Yes, you would be right. But let's peel back some of those layers and explore that for a second. This week, the Gospel Project laid out what I call the three Ps. Uh, For us to focus on is is to preach, persevere, and to pursue. And that is to preach the message of the Gospel with clarity. To persevere in the work of the Gospel. And to pursue transformation through the power of the Gospel. So before we go any further, let's just um, open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to share your word, Father. And uh, I I pray uh, those three points be be, uh, delivered clearly, Father, that we are able to pursue um, the the true transformation of the gospel and understand what it is to follow you. So, Father, in all these things, we just ask uh, your blessing upon this time and allow the, the ears who are out there to, to hear. And, uh, Father, I just pray that uh, just it lays in on their heart and that they, uh, they know that uh, you are out there loving them. And, Father, that uh, your Holy Spirit has come down and dwelled among us, all those who believe. And, Father, that, that he is a helping hand in our lives. So Father, as we continue on in this message, I just pray a blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we dive into Acts 19, we see Paul is on his third missionary journey. Paul starts his third journey in the, recorded back in chapter 18, where it is believed that Luke is the author of, of this book. Although it is never mentioned in the book of Acts, Luke reports that Paul this time travels through Asia Minor and Greece, visiting many places where he has been before. However, this time Luke focuses on Paul's trip to Ephesus. There they meet Apollos. Uh, scripture describes Apollos as a native of Alexandria uh, and came to Ephesus. Apollos was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Moreover, Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately of the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. If you're thinking about this for a second, John the Baptist's ministry was located in the wilderness near Jerusalem by the Jordan River. And Apollos is a native of Alexandria. But now they're in Ephesus. 
So let's just take a quick look at a map here. I know I'm pulling a Steve and I'm pulling out a map. It's, it's, it's all good. Right here, down here, you see Egypt. And right there is Alexandria. I don't know if the, the camera's zooming in on that, but Alexandria is all the way over here, this far from Jerusalem and the Jordan River. And now that message that John spoke and Apollos is sharing is they're all the way up here now in Ephesus. So it's just amazing to see how far John's message has reached outside of Israel. Because if you look at this map, it would take days and upon days and, and, and possibly a boat and, and all those other things just to get where they were going. It's not like in today's world where you can call an Uber and be there in a few hours or a taxi or you know, get in a plane or whatever. This was a big journey. So the fact that it has reached that far outside of Israel, I, I, I was amazed by it. I kind of nerded out over it a little bit. I'm going to admit that. Um, but this is a safe space and we're allowed to talk about those things. Um, as Apollos was preaching in Acts 18, it was mentioned that two of Paul's helpers, Priscilla and Aquila, heard Apollos speaking in the synagogue. So it says in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So then scripture says that Apollos wished to cross uh, Achaia with them, where he was a great help. Now we're going to jump into chapter 19, where Paul meets Apollos for the first time. And here's what it says. It, it says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So let's pause there just for a second. When it says Paul found some disciples, they were not disciples of Jesus. When Luke was writing this text, he was inferring to them as disciples of John so they would have some knowledge, and the same knowledge as Apollos did before Priscilla and Aquila met him. So let's jump back into verse 19, but we're going to come in here at verse 2. And, uh, and it said, uh, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, um, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Like Apollos, they knew the way of the Lord, but have not yet heard of Jesus, or as John the Baptist put it, uh, the one who comes after me. So when Paul asks about um, the Holy Spirit, they have never heard of him. This tells us a couple things. First, that they have not heard the details of Jesus from John before they departed. Or, they are unaware of John's ministry was, uh, was fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit came and now 
He lives in each of Jesus' followers. Regardless, Paul needed to clear some things up uh, uh, for these men. First, Paul needed to be clear in his message. Second, they needed to know the Messiah had come. They no longer needed to be waiting for Jesus. They needed to know that their, their sins were forgiven. And Jesus paid the price for their sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. When I read verse 2 though, I'm going to be honest, I, got, I was a little triggered by that. It, it triggered me a little bit. It caused me to think about how we speak as Christians. Paul explained the message to these men and he would need to do it with clarity and precision. As these men were Jews, they, they knew the Old Testament as well. They were also followers of John. So let me ask you this. When you're talking about Jesus, are you using language people understand? When Paul spoke to these men, they did not know who or what the Holy Spirit was. Make sure you don't fall into the Christian language trap. When you're presenting the good news to anyone, present it with clarity. And that's my rant. I'm going to end it there. That wasn't the only challenge Paul faced. John already baptized these men. So you would assume they would not need another baptism. But this is something I struggled with in my studies, was the why. Why would they need to be baptized again? We know that John practiced full immersion water baptism, so why again? F.F. Bruce explains it in this way in his commentary. He says, they had a pre-Pentecostal baptism. John baptized for repentance and with the anticipation of the coming one. But Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. Therefore, an anticipatory baptism was inappropriate and inadequate. Now these John disciples, having knowledge and faith in Jesus, needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm sure uh, there can be arguments made that Paul didn't need to baptize them again. Couldn't he have just prayed for them? But that's not for us to decide. We, we're not to decide that. We know that the Holy Spirit moves. He lives in all of those who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. We do not uh, dictate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, came on them, which means they received the new covenant of the Holy Spirit. Something that happened to Jesus' disciples from the first time on the day of Pentecost. We also know the gospel was preached with clarity and precision before sinners who embraced Jesus as Savior. We all have developed our hills of theology to die on, but it's not the time. It's time to step down from our soapboxes and preach Jesus. That needs to be our focus preaching with clarity, precision, and perseverance 
Which brings us to our next point. Let's look at Acts 19 verses 8 to 10. And it says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So have you ever came against opposition where you knew you were right? Like without a shadow of a doubt, you knew you were right. All I could think of was arguing with your kids. Not saying they're wrong all the time, but they get into this stage where they know things and they think they know all the things. That must have been what Paul felt like. He was in the synagogue with some of the men that he just taught, and now they're becoming stubborn and defiant. Parents, does that sound familiar and frustrating? I mean, come on. It's probably uh, all too familiar to us uh, today, especially in this lockdown where we had to do some homeschooling. (laughs) But seriously, this was Paul's practice. First, when he entered into the city, He would go to his people, the Jews, go into his comfort. Then take the gospel of Jesus to the Jews. This would make sense, right? Go to the place where people would know of a coming Messiah and let them know that Jesus was here and fulfilled the promise. But that's not how it always went. Paul would end up in debates, arguments, and he would need to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah and fulfilled the scriptures. After some time in the synagogue, Paul would gain some followers. And then he would begin his second part of his ministry, reaching to the Gentiles. Paul knew that it was God's plan for all to hear the gospel, as it says in the end of verse 10. This continued for two years so that all residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. This is the commandment that Jesus left his disciples in Matthew 28. It says, Go therefore making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Paul used Ephesus as the home base to reach out to all of Asia and teach and train up disciples. As we read into this chapter, it appears that Paul has almost given up on the Jews and now focusing on the marketplaces and other areas where the gospel can be heard. But that's clearly not the case. In Mark Powell's text, uh, Intro to the New Testament, he writes, While God has been faithful to Israel, the book of Acts clearly is interested also in celebrating and promoting the movement of Christianity into the Gentile world. Jesus promised the salvation of the Gentiles in scripture. Luke says it in chapter three, verse six, 
all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The restoration of Israel is accomplished through the repentance of a faithful remnant, allowing the next phase of God's plan to take effect. Luke doesn't present the Gentile mission as plan B, that God adopts after getting angry and writing off uh, the Jews. Instead, Luke presents the Gentile mission as an outgrowth of Israel's faithfulness and obedience to God, a righteous remnant the Jewish people accept their Messiah and act according to what he wanted them to do next. Bring salvation to all. The book of Acts records uh, the advance and progress of the church's mission, emphasizing its successful expansion and its transforming efforts on society. Just as Paul's day, we are looking to expand the gospel. We want to see our own lives better equipped to serve our community, reaching all of Colchester with the gospel and see true transformation. As we continue in Acts, Paul was doing great work in Ephesus. The chapter says that his sweat rags and aprons would be taken away to heal the the sick and oppressed. Paul was making a name for himself. People started to know what he was talking about, even if they didn't understand or believe it. Here we see in the starting of verse uh, 13, in verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Man, that would have been some scary. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That would have been a little embarrassing. Not going to lie. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was exalted. Sceva's sons tried to exorcise a demon out of a man, but said, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. There was no power because they had no faith in Jesus. They heard Paul talking about Jesus. But when they tried to use Jesus' name, like an unfamiliar weapon, wrongly handled, it exploded in their hands. Jesus, whom Paul preached, was a well-known name to the demon that they were trying to cast out. But what right had they to use it? According to some commentaries and study uh, references, Sceva's sons would be practicing spells and magic in attempt to cast out uh, demons. This is why there was so much power in the following verse, starting in verse 18. It says, Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. If you didn't know, take this into consideration for a second. If you didn't know, depending on what silver it was, either a denarii or a talent, that bonfire would have costed in today's world between 5.5 million and 1.5 billion dollars. Can you imagine that bonfire? That would have been one expensive bonfire. Imagine what it would look like today. It would be like owning a business that didn't honor God. And instead of selling it and becoming another stumbling block for someone else, you burned it to the ground and get zero dollars for it. So there was true transformation. It showed the power of Jesus and his name. The Gospel Project curriculum says it this way. The Ephesians who embraced Jesus made life-altering decisions, beginning with confessing their sins to one another. For some of this included the practice of magic, a normal part of life in Ephesus, and a big business, obviously. Look at the size of that bonfire. Yet, people were choosing to leave that life behind and follow Jesus in obedience. When we embrace Jesus by faith, we receive a new identity. No longer are we slaves by sin that once defined us. Now we are saints with a new master, Jesus, who loves us. The people were captivated by the story of Jesus' love and compassion. As a result, people would create communities where everyone was created as equals, regardless of age, gender, or social status. Then the people in the communities would go out and live sacrificially and took care of the poor. They lived like Jesus was. In every city where Paul announced Jesus, people were being transformed, no matter the cost. This was creating ripples in the Roman world. Christians became known in the empire as people who are turning the world upside down. You can actually read that in Acts 17 verse 16. People of faith are turning the world on its head. So how are you teaching Jesus? Are you living it out like the days of Paul? You're probably thinking to yourself, probably not. It seems like we have lost our sense of community. Have you stopped focusing on community? Why have you stopped focusing on community? Are you saying, well, COVID makes it hard? Well, obviously, COVID haircut. I'm hoping to get this kind of taken care of soon. Or lack thereof a haircut. I want to stop focusing on the can'ts of COVID and focusing on the cans. We have a campaign going on right now called One Name. Have you been pursuing one name? We want to be angry at someone or something about the pandemic. We need to blame why we are bad at reaching out and connecting. Oh, COVID this or government that. Yet we are not willing to look at what we are allowed to do. How we can be creative in pursuing the gospel and seeing true transformation. 
How awesome would it be if we became the church known for turning the narrative upside down and reaching people for the gospel? But as we read through Acts and compare it to our modern world, it can be depressing. We start thinking, why can't the church be like this today? Where did we go wrong? But like, Luke would not want this book to be depressing to anyone. Instead, this story is meant to be inspiring. He wants us to believe that the possibility of God's will being done is greater than we might imagine. I'm going to read a quote from Andy Stanley and it says, Direction not intention determines our destination. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. The win is to end up somewhere on purpose. So what's your direction? Where are you going? Where are you going to end up on purpose? Let me end with this. Do you believe there is more? Go out there and believe that the church can be more. Be more yourself. Believe that God's will shall be done here as it is in heaven. Believe there is more than your four walls and a roof. Believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. Believe that we can turn this world upside down. Believe in the faithfulness and the fullness of the gospel. Believe your words that they have power through the Holy Spirit. Believe that you can persevere in the work of the gospel. Believe that in the pursuit of the mission of Christ. Go out there, church, and believe. So let's just pray about that. Heavenly Father, please give us a spirit of belief. Allow us to believe that your Holy Spirit is still working today as it did in the days of Paul. Uh, Allow your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Father, allow us to know that he is active and moving. Give us what we need to go out. Not with a a, a spirit of anger or resentment. Allow us to believe that we can still be moving. We can still be active. We can still be transforming through the gospel. Allow us to reach out in ways that we've never reached out before, Father. Allow the mission not to be on lockdown. Allow the mission to be thriving. Change the narrative, Father. I pray that you change the narrative in our hearts. Give us what we need to continue your mission. Father, I pray that we expand the gospel. We expand the gospel from our little corner. Father, that more may hear than ever before the good news of Jesus. Father, I am so thankful for 
this church family and what they allow us to do and, and how they walk the mission with us. Father, I pray a spirit of excitement that things are going to happen, that we are able to see uh, people come to know who you are all around us. Father, we just thank you for your word and for Paul as an example that we may follow. I pray for encouragement, that you may encourage these people as, as they sit home and watch this, Father, and, and we are still in, in the early phases, Father, but I pray for encouragement, that we are moving in the right direction. And Father, I, I thank you for your word and the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you for uh, sending him down to live a perfect life, to taking the sins of this world upon himself, dying on a cross, defeating death, and allowing us to have life with you forever. Father, we thank you for that love. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.